Welcome to Go Beyond Fundraising, the podcast that's here to address your challenges head on. Brought to you by the combined forces of Pursuant and Allegiance Group, we're diving deep into the world of marketing and fundraising to help you overcome obstacles, unlock new opportunities, and make an even greater impact on the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Fundraising Today and the Go Beyond Fundraising podcast. We've got a great guest today, Steve Latham, the co-founder and CEO of Donate Stock. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And then we also have Don Galasso back with us today. Don, glad to see you back here again. Thanks. I'm glad to join. We've got a great topic today, which is stock donations. We had a conversation about non-cash giving about a year ago. Back then, the stock market was in a much different place than it is today. And we thought it would be worth it to have this conversation again, especially because some things have changed in the stock market. And we are coming up as we're recording today on the year-end giving season. And our friend Steve has a lot of stats that are really eye-opening to share about some of the untapped potential that could lie in your donor file. And so, Don, why don't you kick us off today with getting us into this conversation and getting into some background about why this is such an important topic? Yeah, thanks, Lee. I appreciate it. Steve, it's great to talk to you again. Super excited to have a conversation around why we need to focus on staff donations as nonprofits. So if you can start by explaining why it's so important for nonprofits to have the ability to accept staff donations, especially at the end of the year, and what motivated you to, to co-found Donate Stocks uh, to facilitate this process? Yeah, I'll start with the I'll start with the latter because that's an easier story. So, fifteen years ago, a friend of mine told me, a financial advisor, about the benefits of stock gifting, and uh, we can get into the, the particulars as we get into this. But it sounded like such a good deal that I thought, wow, that sounds awesome. I own some stock. I'd like to give some of the scholarship fund that had given me a scholarship in school. And then I discovered why very few people donate stock. Went through the process manually of doing the research, calling the nonprofit, being directed back to my broker, being directed back to the nonprofit. It was calls, forms, emails, printing, signing, having to drop off a form. It was such, it literally took almost a week to get a, a small stock gift done. And it was such a hassle. It wasn't worth doing it anymore. And then that was in 2008 and 2020, my last company, I'd spent the last 18 years in, in advertising and marketing technology. My last company was going through a final kind of sale and uh, exit event. And I was thinking about what I wanted to do next. And this had always been in the back of my mind that if, if no one solves this problem, and that would be a really fun one to tackle. So we started donating stock to, first of all, to make it easy for, for donors. That was the first focus on it, not really understanding what happened behind the scenes, which is a, is a whole different set of issues. But that was really, it was, it was something that I thought, wow, if we could make it easy, then and remove the friction, we could unlock billions of funding for nonprofits. And that was the original idea. Why stock is so important? Your first question is really a few reasons. One is it's the most tax advantage way for donors to support your cause. Um, we can again talk about the, the benefits of stock gifting, but it, it's if donors can make a pre-tax gift to you, it tends to be much larger. Average stock gift that we process over the last two and a half years now is about between five and six thousand dollars. They so they're larger gifts. They are more tax advantage for the donors. And instead of paying taxes on it, they could actually give the nonprofit the, the money that would have gone to the IRS. You're not leaving money on the table like you are when you ask for an after-tax gift, like credit or cash or direct debit. So this is a way for larger pre-tax gifts to flow from where household wealth is concentrated. It's, it's not checking accounts or credit card availability. It's their brokerage account. 
And if you can allow them to share their wealth with you uh, and invest in you, it's a very different conversation than can you give us 500 bucks on your credit card? No one's going to pay that bill next month. Most people that are donating stock are larger givers, donors, major give donors, whatever you want to call them. But they are, they're, they've been in the markets on average 10, 15, 20 years. They have massive gains. And for them to be, know that one, they can share those gains with you. Two, that it's more tax advantage. And three, it's easy. That's really why now more than in the past, it makes a lot of sense for nonprofits to lean into it. Yeah. And you had mentioned the stat when we were talking before around the percentage of cash available, stock available versus. So can you expand on that percentage that you provided to me earlier? Let me, if I could share my screen with you, I'll show you a couple slides that might help. And for those listening to this, I'll explain what we're looking at. The first, uh, on the first chart over here is really looking at where household wealth is concentrated. These numbers are actually uh, need to be heptated. It's now more like 90%, 10%. That 90% of household wealth is in their investment accounts. It's in their brokerages, not their bank account. And uniquely advantaged for the donors. What's We've looked at it that if you think about the average, there's about 50 million active investors. The top 10% of portfolios in the millions of dollars. For them to give a $10,000 gift, a stock gift is really, it's a rounding error on their daily portfolio movement. Uh, if they have a, a $2 million portfolio, that's a half percent movement every day, which happens all the time. So it's really easy for them to give 10,000. That's worth 50 billion of potential funding. I think 5 million people, $10,000 of annual giving where they have millions of dollars, generally speaking, make your major gift donors. And that's the top 10%. If you think about the other 90% of donors out there that are people that own stock, the other 40 plus million people, they're worth probably another 25 to 50 billion a year. So there's 75 to, to 100 billion in potential funding for nonprofits. Today, uh, most nonprofits don't solicit a whole lot of stock gifts. They, they tend to take them when someone says, I really want to give you stock. Can you please accommodate it? And okay, we'll do that for you because you're special. Um, but it's really such a big opportunity because it's not, it shouldn't be one, 1% of your giving proceeds. And that's typically what we see. Uh, most nonprofits that can receive stock gifts, they might get 0.1, 0 0.2% of their gifts, but their larger gifts, maybe five to 10,000 each on average, sometimes larger, uh, depending on how many they get. And then that's 1% of the proceeds. But think about half of their donors own stock and probably 90 plus percent of their major donors own stock. So it could be a much larger component of their fundraising program. A great example is that we have a, a case study with World Central Kitchen who signed up with us in December 22. In the first year in 2023, stock went from 1.3% of proceeds, kind of industry average, up to almost 9%. And it grew on a on an actual abs absolute basis, 15 fold in one year. So 1,500% increase in stock giving increased from over 1% to almost 9% of proceeds. And that resulted in significant growth and diversification for them. And in this market, this climate where inflation is, is persistent, cost of living is higher, there's less cash left over for discretionary spending or investments. And that's why I think there's a, a lot of people are feeling fairly cash tight. But if you look at where the market is, morally a few percent away from all-time high, although most widely held largest stocks, think of Google, Amazon, Tesla, uh, Netflix, what are the magnificent seven? NVIDIA, Microsoft. I think that's it. There's maybe one more. Oh, and Meta, Facebook. They're at, at or near all-time highs. So people who've been in these stocks for five, 10 plus years are sitting on massive gains. They might be feeling a little tight about the checkbook, but they have tons of capital in their brokerage account. So that's the opportunity. And we think it's worth tens of billions a year in incremental funding, which would more than offset this contraction in funding 
given that we saw in 22 and are probably looking at in 23 as well. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, those stats are mind-blowing. And you're absolutely right about the idea that the reason why 2022 was off year and 2023 probably is going to be that contraction is because people are feeling like they don't have the, the same amount of cash in their pocketbook. And so by looking at alternatives like stock and, and identifying those individuals who, who would be willing to give, that that's amazing. So one of the key benefits you mentioned is the ability for the donor to offset capital gains taxes when they donate stock. And I think you might even want to share that same screen that you had because yeah. I have a description of why that is. So can you unpack this a little bit more so that the listeners understand how it works and why it's actually a benefit, a win for both the donor and the nonprofit? This is the thing that when I heard about this in 2008, a light bulb went off. I was like, wow, that sounds too good to be true. And what is it exactly? So if you think about a situation, uh, we hear these stories where a nonprofit as a donor reaches out, says, hey, I've made some money on an investment. I'd like to donate my gains to you. And great. It calls the broker. They sell the stock, deduct the tax and send the cash over. So that's bad for the donor. It's bad for the nonprofit. Now, Let's assume that uh, someone wants to give you a $10,000 gift. If you bought Apple five years ago, it's up about 5X on average. So let's say you paid $2,000 for Apple stock five years ago in 2018. Today, it's up about 5X from that. So that 2000 investment is worth 10000 If you sell that stock, you're going to pay a capital gains tax of around $2,000, depending on where you live. So this is pointing to the, the tax savings. So it's going to vary based on the state they live in, but capital gains come in anywhere from all in 18.8 up to like high 30s percent, depending on what state the person's in. And so let's assume it's 25% of an $8,000 gain. That's a $2,000 capital gain tax they're going to pay. And then they can only deduct the 8,000 deduction. So at 10K, I sold it. I paid 2,000 taxes. My broker sends you $8,000 and I can deduct or itemize that 8,000. Now, if I donate the stock instead of the cash, I don't pay the capital gains tax. My stock goes from me to you or to a 501c3 processing the stock for you. You get $10,000 as a nonprofit. I don't have to pay the capital gains tax. You're tax exempt, so you don't have to. And now I get to write off the full $10,000 donation as well. So not only am I saving $2,000 on the capital gains tax, I'm also getting another probably $500 incremental tax savings, cash savings on, on itemizing a larger donation. So it's a, a much more tax efficient way for donors to give. It's historically, most people don't know this. Uh, I, I jokingly say it's the best kept secret in personal finance is stock gifting. This has been a tool of the 1% households for decades. And so now it's really time to democratize. And the beauty is everybody can get the same relative savings. You don't have to be Elon Musk to get the same really unique tax savings by donating stock instead of uh, cash. That's astounding. One of the things I think the reason why it's one of the best kept secrets is because the challenge around being able to do it, right? That's one of the things that you had mentioned is this, that donors don't have a lot of information on how to give stock. And then when they are wanting to give stock like you wanted to in 2008, the complexities around it are so hard. So can you share some best practices or solutions nonprofits can, can use to handle stock donations more efficiently? I'd start with the general idea of being more donor-centric. Join meeting them where they are. You're, you're hearing a lot more about that. We can't treat donors as a monolith and we send you a request by mail and you send us checks. Like that model does not work anymore. First of all, if you think about it, your donors should be able to support you how they want, when they want, whatever form of currency they want, and you should make those options available to them. So first of all, making it easy for them to donate, uh, whether it's asking for their DAF contribution. So we're about like opening non-cash giving. We don't 
have a play in DAFs or QCDs, but they should be absolutely taken advantage of. So if, if you're not asking for a donor advice fund contribution, you're leaving money on the table. If you're not reminding people who are 72 and above that donations to you qualify as qualified charitable distributions, which allow them to offset required income that they have to recognize based on their IRA, then you're leaving money on the table. And, and again, there's 7 million uh, retirees that are probably going to, that could benefit from QCDs. There's 1.3 million DAF holders. So there's, there's some pools there that you could fish in. But then there's an ocean of investors. There's 50 million households, over half U.S. households own stock in some form or fashion. 50 million active investors, but more like 100 million people actually have ownership of stock. So in that case, it's about one, let them know we can take your stock gifts um, and it's easy and it's more beneficial to you to give us a pre-tax stock gift than it is to give us your after-tax gift. And we'll make it easy for you. So I think the key is really removing the friction for the donor. And it's not that front end too. And this is the part that I think people who are, are still trying to figure out that the whole stock gifting space don't fully appreciate. The worst thing you can do for a nonprofit is allow a bunch of people to start throwing in stock gifts to them without a scalable way to reconcile them, acknowledge them, process them. The biggest problem with stock gifting, what we found, I mentioned early on, uh, we started thinking about the problem for donors. When we were in it, we realized there were some significant challenges for the nonprofits as well. The first and foremost biggest challenge is you don't know whose stock it is. When the stock hits your account, it does not say this is Steve Latham's stock. It says 10 shares of Apple showed up in your account. Oh, and five shares of Apple and another eight shares of Apple. It's at an all-time high. You'll see people donate. NVIDIA had a massive run this, this year. We saw a lot of people donating NVIDIA to the same causes. You don't know whose stock is whose. And so one, it's hard to reconcile, first of all, even if who was planning to send you stock, because a lot of people give the same stock. 20% of gifts that we processed are Apple, Microsoft, or Tesla. So when you have a lot of people who own the same stock, the most widely held largest cap stocks, you end up with not knowing who's the suit. The bigger problem is when the donor assumes because they filled out paperwork for their brokerage and went to all the hassle to document this for Schwab or whoever, they assume you know that it came from them and you don't. So then they're sitting there waiting for acknowledgement, a thank you note, a letter, an email, something, maybe a call. Thank you for that five-figure stock gift. And it doesn't come, and then the donors have a bad experience. So even if you make it easy for them to donate, but you don't have a system on the back end to be able to reconcile those gifts quickly, acknowledge them quickly, let them know we received your stock. Most of the time, nonprofits find out someone did, um, sent them stock because they call them up, say, did you get my stock? Did you get my stock? I sent it to you. And they're like, what did you send us and when? And we'll go check. And then it's research and talk to your treasurer to log into brokerage account. It's a broken and biased process is what it's been. It's been a 1% solution, highly orchestrated donations to date. So by making it easy uh, for nonprofits to reconcile and acknowledge gifts at scale, and that's a key part of our value prop for the nonprofits is we can handle all that for them. And so not to, when you ask what are the best practices, you have to have a, a scalable way to, uh, to reconcile and acknowledge gifts. And that's the hardest part because the lack of information about the donor. So you said something that blew my mind right now that Right now, most nonprofits, if they get a stock gift, don't even know who gave them the gift, right? And so it's like, we're always talking about stewardship and acknowledgement and thanking and all the things. You're accepting these gifts, potentially, that you're not even letting somebody know that you received it and thanked them for it. And that's, to me, horrifying, right? Creates a donor relations problem. So without naming the organization, the top 10 nonprofit that speaking with about a year ago in that. And they're like, we have a, a challenge because one, we get quite a few stock gifts. Our development team wants more stock gifts because 
They're bigger, helps us hit our goals. Our treasurer wants more. Problem is our operations donor relations team are struggling under the weight of what we already have because we have all these people that we can't acknowledge. We don't know they sent us their stock. They assume we got their information through the brokerage and we don't. So it creates a donor relations problem if you try to scale up your stock gifting without a backend process. And this was uh, back to World Central Kitchen, a great case study. When we onboarded, we said, do you want to receive the stock in your brokerage account or would you like it, us to process it through a 501c3 that we set up donating stock charitable? to convert the stock and send you the cash. And they said, we have a Fidelity account, send it to us. A month in, they're like, no mas, we can't, we can't process these. We're having to hire temps to go through and look through records of emails of people that have contacted us who said they might donate stock or they, they had their brokerage information on their website, which is a disaster because then people get the information and send it. And again, assuming that, that their information travels. A month in, they said, you know what? We don't have a huge GNA staff. We're trying to feed people in Ukraine and Eastern Europe. Can you handle the force? So we took over all that for them. And really, all we do is we send them money. We process their stocks, acknowledge the donor, send them an acknowledgement letter on behalf of World Central Kitchen. And we send them the cash in days, not weeks or months after the, the gift is made so they can get it to put it to work and have impact immediately. So that's really a critical part of it is the ability to scale that that's why the front end solution doesn't work, right? It's good to remove that front end friction for the donor, but you can create a bigger problem for your donors on the back end because they get really anxious. They send you 10,000 stock that leaves their account and they don't hear from you that you got it. This is not a hundred dollar credit card that can be reversed by disputing. This is stock goes out into the ether. So that rapid acknowledgement is absolutely critical. But if you do that and you're the only one asking me for stock, I've got a lot more. Now you stand to gain a lion's share of their brokerage accounts and, and divestable assets. Calling all fundraisers. Are you navigating nonprofit uncertainty? Say goodbye to guesswork with the 2023-2024 Giving Outlook, your lifeline in these unpredictable times. Get expert insights, industry trends, and fresh ideas to boost your fundraising game. Sign up today and unlock a treasure trove of knowledge. Don't miss this chance to connect with fellow professionals and supercharge your strategies. Visit pursuant.com and teamallegiance.com to download the latest Giving Outlook today. I've even heard horror stories on the other side where a donor went to a nonprofit's website and wanted to donate stock. So they went through the whole process, that convoluted process to give stock. And then the stock actually never gets processed. It's stuck at the brokerage and the donor is expecting a tax relief off of it. So it's the end of the year, the beginning of of the next year. And they're like, where's my tax exempt for this? And they're like, we didn't get it. And the donor thinks that the nonprofit messed up. And it really, a lot of times it's not the nonprofit, but there's that whole relationship starts to crumble because of that situation on that end also, which is so on both sides and without having the right structure in place, it can be a problem for any nonprofit. Yeah, I like to say it's not our fault, but it's our problem. And that's the nonprofit situation when like, it's not our fault. Your brokerage did not execute the transfer. But donors look for someone to blame. Right. And they can blame the broker, but good luck getting someone from Schwab on the phone to hear your complaints. Uh, So 
that's a big problem. And that's where the monitoring is really critical. That's another component of what they got without getting too deep in the weeds. Realize that probably 5% of transactions don't get executed by the donor's broker. What, what you send in the transfer form, we, so we get the data from the donor. We send on their behalf a, a transfer authorization to transfer the stock from their account to the nonprofit account. But their broker still has a manually process that, enter that, confirm it. And if they drop it or it falls through the cracks or they're too busy to get it done, then it gets lost. And like I said, the, the time, the calendar, it, it turns when it turns. If they don't get their donation in, it gets processed on a certain time, then they're out of luck. So that, that's a big part of it. We, we actually built in monitoring. If the stock has not been received in five business days, we're contacting the donor. Like the stock has not come in. Please check your brokerage account. Make sure it went out because there's a chance that your broker didn't execute the transfer. So those things happen, right? Stock doesn't ever really get lost. It gets there as long as it gets initiated by the broker, but it is a manual process today. We're trying to work with some of the big broker dealers, the big names and wealth managers and to really take this. This is decades old technology that they're using in process. We're trying to bring them up to more modern standard, doing a thing more server to server, more electronically, less analog in terms of how they do these things. But it's going to take time. In the meantime, you have to have a really good workflow and monitoring system so that if something does get delayed, you can flag it quickly and and course correct in time. Yeah, it's crazy that we're still doing stock donations the same way they were being done 25 years ago. And when I'm thinking about AI and all the other technology that's out there is like, wait, we need to bring it into the the century at least. So purpose of fintech is is because these legacy financial infrastructure, you can't retrofit it. You can't change it. You have to either rebuild it or you find workarounds. And that's really the why there's a whole fintech industry. I love that. So I have a, a question on data. Obviously, with me being the giving DNA guru over at Allegiance and Pursuant Group, is there data that you guys have found that helps nonprofits potentially identify? I know there's a, a large group of people a huge percentage of individuals within the United States have some kind of stock. But when you're talking about the stock donor, is there data that you guys have found that is consistent across the stock donor that you're seeing on a regular basis? There is. We started compiling some insights about donors several months ago to try to better understand what does a stock donor look like demographically, socioeconomically, behaviorally. So actually, let me pull up another info sheet we have here that happy to make available to as an attachment if you guys can do that maybe for the video or the podcast. But this is a data we were able to glean by processing our donor data to really get some insights about donors. Is that coming through okay? For those listening, it's a basically an infographic showing the socioeconomic, behavioral, and demographic information about donors. So I'll start with down here on age. This is a generational breakdown. So 10% silent generations before 1946, about 40% are boomers, 35% Gen X. So people who are basically 47 and up account for about 85% of the stock gifts that we've processed today. And that's about close to 1,500 gifts. So decent set size sample. I think it's pretty accurate. It makes sense too. It's very intuitive. Uh, Gen Y, we see a small number of them and, and a few Gen Zs, but it's 85% people, let's say late 40s plus, with a big mix between Gen X and boomers, but the boomers and silent are still half of stock donors. Again, these are people who have been in the markets for, for decades. We've seen the purchase date on stock when it comes in and people are donating stock they've held 10, 20, 30 years sometimes. So it's, 
especially if they got it as compensation, received cap, uh, stock compensation from their companies and their cost basis is, is zero, then they've got a bunch of it. And it's a great, it's a great way for them to reduce concentration and, and harvest some gains. The average giving capacity looks like a major gift donor, 25,000 plus per year. That's like total giving capacity across channels. Again, we know stock to date is a very small percentage of that. It's also people who are highly likely to make major gifts, recurring donors, event attendees. So I think galas, golf tournaments, events where you spend money to come and look good. They're highly correlated with those. Most people who attend your gala are stock owners and can donate stock and give you a lot more, not just for that table or for their sponsorship, but in auctions. Think about using stock as anything you can use cash or credit for. Almost 100% household owners, almost half have children. And this is low, I think. It's not about the dollar amount of the average home of 700000 because this is, again, across the entire country, right? You have some really high, high-priced real estate, some lower-priced, but they're basically double the median value for the area. So that's more the way to think about that. The average stock donor is, has a home that's 2x the average of the median for their area. What is this? Almost 80% are either graduate or bachelor's degrees. So educated, 60% married. Fairly politically interesting. I don't think it shocks anybody. There's higher propensity for people who are leaning left to support nonprofits than than the the right Republicans. If we had to, if we have to be binary, Democratic or Republican, it's about 45% Dem and about 40, 20% Republican. I guess the, the rest is independent. States, this is again, probably has to do with a lot through wealth is concentrated. So California, New York, Texas, Florida, the Carolinas, Colorado tend to be where we see the most today. And, and then interest, they like nicer things, food, wine, videography. We're not sure if shooting is gun shooting or photography, probably not photography. I don't know what that is. I just thought it was an interesting one in there, but travel, golf, scuba, et cetera. And then channel responsiveness is interesting. 77% respond to channel, uh, to social, uh, about 72% through email. Direct mail is still a big component, but I think it's probably skewed for older demographics. So the older they are, the more likely they are to actually read their direct mail and respond to it. But you look at phone, online advertising, even SMS, you get pretty high response rates. So there's no one way. I think what tells you there's no one way to contact a stock donor. They're not a monolith. They're going to be up and throughout the spectrum. But generally speaking, they're people who are going to skew older, have assets, own homes that are twice the value of the median and are, generally speaking, generous people. And that's why they're in the, the donor universe in the first place. I love that. Even the communication preferences to me is that's your omni-channel donor too, right? That's their response across all the channels, which is that omni-channel donor, which is always a higher value donor anyways. So I think that aligns with everything else we've been talking about up to this point. You got to think about, again, back, you don't know where they are, right? Communicate with them in the mode or the medium that's best for them. I find myself, I don't know about you all, but I find myself saying, send me a text about something versus email because I get so much junk email and I miss important things. So if it's a doctor's appointment or a bill's past due, please text me. That way I won't miss it. So there's, I'm more increasingly finding myself opening up my text to other things too. It's, yeah, text me. Like it's, it's easier to SMS me to receive, et cetera. My email is information overload. So I think when I'm not, I'm 54. I, I'm not like, I'm not a millennial. I, I'm not a, not a millennial. So I'm square in the Gen X camp and I probably live a little more tech than others. But same time, it's about ease and efficiency and what makes my life better. And I think that's even my mom, she responds to text when she's definitely on the, definitely on the higher end of the boomer side. So. 
I think it's rethinking who is your customer, your donor, how do they want to be engaged? How do they want to give? What's the most advantageous way for them to support your cause? And make sure you're making those options available to them. I think that's really one of the big takeaways of, of, of when we come out of this contraction and individual giving. There are fewer donors. I don't know if you saw the Bank of America study came out earlier this week. It is a sad diagonal down the line, down to the right, um, number of donors of even affluent ho- households and uh, the you know, rest of the population. Fewer donors. Historically, the last few years been increasing reliance on the mega donor and the large gifts to make your budget. When those don't show up and your base isn't, isn't continuing to make recurring gifts, I think even amongst recurring donors, there's only 60% retention and 22. So there's too many causes with that are engaging people. And if you're not doing a good job of engaging in stewardship and building that relationship over time, you're a risk. And I think you, you can't take your base for example, for granted. You got to engage those people and those everyday donors, make sure they stay involved and active as well as make it easy for them to get different ways. On a tangent, but we can talk about this stuff for hours. I love this. As we wrap up, I would be really interested. You talked about World Central Kitchen and the success that they've had. Can you give us a little bit of insight of the things that they changed when working with you that helped with that success? Yeah, an easy button for doing stock gifting. That's think of us as PayPal for stock gifting. So what used to be a painstaking, laborious process, now for the first gift takes maybe five minutes. Subsequent gifts take 60 seconds. You log in, you said, I want to give my 10 shares of Apple, another five shares of NVIDIA to this cause. And you can sprinkle it around or concentrate it. Make it easy, I think is really the key there in removing that friction. And it's a fun thing to do. It's the epitome of, of generosity. It's like I have invested well, I've earned returns, I'm going to share my winnings, my gains with the causes I care about. And if you make that easy for me, I'll do that a lot. And that, that's where we find, we find 20% of our donors now have made on average three and a half gifts. So that's, it's a high recurring transact. We're seeing now people coming back in every, this Q4 start making their stock gifts again. We're starting to see old names reappear. People, I think at the end of the day, people are rational, logical. If you make it easy for them to support you in the ways they can, and the ways are most advantageous, you're going to see you know, great results. We have, uh, Speaking of other nonprofits, I was thinking about a couple down in Florida, one called Chapman Partnership. They signed up and it was last ditch, like early December. They sent an email out to all their donors saying, hey, by the way, we can take stock gifts. And they had six figures in gifts within a week. It was people like, wow, we didn't know you did. They never had before. And here's, I've got a lot of stock, especially people who are on fixed income and may not have a lot of cash, but they do have their portfolios that they have to get rid of at some point. That's an example. Another one called Put Stock in Children. That's another one, which I really like their name. It's like Put Stock or Take Stock in Kids, something like that. And they did the same thing. Five figure gifts came in by letting their donors know. And these are the ones I hear about personally because the people I know reach out, but it's not a big leap. So it's about making it easy. I think that's the World Central Kitchen found. Make it easy and be responsive quickly. That's the key to making people comfortable with their stock gifting and making recurring gifts. And I think there's one other thing you said that's important that in addition to that, and that is let people know you accept stock gifts. Because a lot of times, if you are accepting stock, even in the the traditional way, it's below the fold is the way I like to say it. So they don't find it on your website. It doesn't become easy to find. So if you're, to your point, those nonprofits that you said at the end of last year ended up with large, decent stock gifts at the end of the year. It was because they said, hey, we take stock, right? Otherwise, they wouldn't have given in that way. So I think that's the third point that we'll wrap up with this is that make it easy. I can't remember what the other one was and let people know. 
that's key. Like, I'm glad you said that because I would have regretted if that point had not been brought in because that's so important. It's, you can't expect people to dig to your site and find, how do I do this? You need to put it prominent on there. Hey, you can now give us a lot of different ways. Give from your DAF, give from your, give from stock. If you want to give crypto, if you're that group, great. Give it whatever non-cash assets you have. In addition to credit card, PayPal, direct debit, et cetera. But they got to be proactive. You have, I think that was the point you raised. They can't wait for people to come looking for it. But if you're proactive, the early bird gets a lot of worms in this environment we're in. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much, Steve. This has been great. I've learned a lot today. It's been a pleasure to have this conversation with you. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate you all and happy to do this anytime. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, we invite you to leave a rating and review as that helps others discover the show. 